Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. So Catherine, we haven't got a listener question today, technically. I guess I am listener number one, so maybe we could say it's a listener question because I came across an article the other day in... I don't know, BBC website, whatever it was. And the headline read, Texas schools received $94 million to keep students safe. Now, it had me just asking the question, what would you do if you were given $94 million? Oh, my gosh. I'd be like off on vacations for, <laughs> is that what you meant? Like, definitely <laughs> not. Definitely not. But that goes without saying, right? Oh, that's not what you're talking about. No, definitely not. Okay. Obviously, I mean, what would you do with it if you were spending it on school safety? But I wonder also if we can drill down into, is there something that you would do specifically in Texas with that money ah, versus maybe sure. another state? Actually, that's a great question. You're catching me off guard here. My goodness, taxing my brain. So if I had $94 million, first of all, Texas is a big state. So $94 million will go a lot less a distance than it would in Massachusetts. But it's also a state that has a handful of massive large cities, but then a tremendous number of small cities. So for example, one of the things that struck me after the Uvalde Elementary School massacre that occurred in Uvalde, Texas I don't Um, think anyone's going to forget that one anytime soon. Probably not too soon. One of the things that kind of struck me about the circumstances down there is that they have several hundred school systems that have their own police departments, but the police departments are very small. And in fact, Uvalde just disbanded. I don't know if that's the right word. I think they suspended or fired their entire police department for the school district, which sounds very dramatic until you find out that uh, there were something like eight people in the school district police department. But I think that's indicative of what occurs in Texas. So when you say Texas versus other states, I'm sure Texas isn't the only state that's in this format, but there are many states that have police departments in schools. And I think that I would use some of that money to evaluate overall the value of having police departments in schools and when and why it's good to have those separate police departments that maybe have less resources available, potentially less training available. Because there can be good reasons to have a police department in your own school system. For example, if the local school is in a rural area and the state police response is going to be a half an hour, or the county police response is going to be 25 minutes, maybe you want to have some police officers in your local school district. But I think that it's also a politics decision, right? You have an independent school board and they're elected and they hire their school officials and their police departments. And sometimes the police departments are a little overwhelmed with people who are looking for a retirement job and they're not paid accordingly. 
Uvalde, I think, posted for a job the day of the shooting in their police department. Uh, one of the requirements was high school or GED re- equivalent because the pay was so low. So I guess my question would be then, if you didn't have a specific police department that was set up specifically for the school, would you just be tapping into the state 911 police? So I know that it would seem logical to say state, but here in the United States, we have federal, then state, then county, okay, then local. And in addition to that, of course, there are many indigenous people here. So we have tribal law enforcement within the state is a number of counties and the local police are the essence of law enforcement. And as I think I've mentioned before, we have about 18,000 different law enforcement agencies in the United States. So if I had 94 million dollars and you wouldn't let me go and spend it on clothing and vacations, one of the things that I would do if I was in Texas is I would use some of that money to help the communities evaluate how and why they have separate police departments and whether or not they might be better served by the larger entity with some officers specifically assigned to that school system. The larger entity would potentially understandably have more consistent training, a deeper bench, better equipment and tools, and better response time, better coordination. So that's one thing I would do with it if I was in Texas is find a way to do that. But throughout the rest of the country, I think other states would be similar if they've been given that kind of money. So I guess I would consider probably foremost prevention efforts, right? And uh, often we don't think about prevention efforts and instead we think about making sure law enforcement have the right equipment. So if I had to put it in descending order... I would start with the idea of should the department exist or should the money that the district has go towards the county for dedicated officers who might be maybe more capable because of their exposure and training. Then I would think about whether or not the schools have proper prevention methods, such as threat assessment teams and including communication and training to the community on how to spot behavioral signs of concern not just a one-time thing. I would develop a system so that it integrates, like we teach people to stop, drop, and roll, and we do fire drills. Why don't we teach people how to look for people in crisis? We want to do that for suicide prevention and for domestic violence sufferers. All of those are prevention training. And if we were a little more focused on how we could be more in tune with people who might be in distress around us, that would help. Um, You know what I think is interesting about the options that you're putting forward there? The phrase that comes to mind is give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish, he'll eat for life. And you're not going for, I'm going to stick a lock on a door or the money's spent, it's gone. You're looking Mm -hmm. at something that's going to change long-term the practices in the schools for safety. Yeah, I think so. You know, I'm the biggest advocate for secured doors out there. And secured doors uh, do keep us from somebody. But I think where we haven't spent the money is in prevention. And we could get the biggest bang for our buck if we could develop a prevention methodology. Because I'm confident that the framework, the bones of those programs are out there. So adding the person in every school who's responsible just for that or adding the money for the communications to parents on a regular basis or the training. I think those are the kind of things that maybe we would get a longer term benefit for. So I think it's just 
$94 million seems like a ton of money, but it can be gobbled up pretty quickly in a big state, especially where what might happen is a school district might say, we never want that to happen here. So we're going to put in for a $22 million grant to retrofit all our schools for this whatever. And then another school district that says, uh, we have a failing building because it was built 50 years ago. So we want to build a new state-of-the-art building that's going to have all these security features built into it. And so we need $125 million. And suddenly, oh, boom, gone. Sometimes $94 million seems like nothing then. Yeah, that's so true. $94 million can go pretty quickly. I had budgets in the FBI that were $20 million and I'd spend them in a year. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look, but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, Head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Let me ask you this then. What would you be horrified to see the money spent on? Oh, man. I would hate to see the money used as seed money to create more departments before there's a realization that they need them because then somebody's going to have to fund those departments and hire those people. When you ask somebody who's making minimum wage to carry a gun and be trained in the middle of nowhere, you're asking a person sometimes to do the impossible. So I'd hate to see the money go into a few pet projects that are designed to create showcases of some rebuilt building that is just a shining image of how this one building is going to keep these 300 children safe. 
when the money could be spread throughout to provide, for instance, train the trainer programs for threat assessment teams, things like that. It, none of that is sexy. And it's really hard in the politics world to spend money on non-sexy things. But I put more than a million dollars out of my budget one year into buying tourniquets and bleed packages for our agents to carry with them in their cars every day. And they've saved lives, just like other law enforcement officers have saved lives. And you know, maybe a tourniquet isn't that sexy, but if it saves a life, it's worth every every dollar and then some, right? Who gets to make the decisions on where that money gets spent in Texas? Because it could go either way. You could end up with some really crazy plans, or you could end up with some very sensible prevention plans. And I think this is where it's easy to be myopic and say, I live in this county and we have eight schools. And to put the very best package together to keep our kids safe, we need these fences and these doors, and we need these police officers, and we need this, and we need that. And I think those are hardening targets. And it's easy to put together a package that does that. And those decisions often are made from a politics standpoint. And you can guarantee that, say, if the governor's office is distributing that money, if they're going to distribute $94 million, they're going to get $900 million worth of requests. And so that makes a difference. How do you pick those out? I see this in the federal government. I mean, I've worked through a lot of distribution of funds and I get frustrated when I see, you know, the big sexy company that gets the grant putting money, for instance, into a better mousetrap on how we communicate to our parents is worth it. And if a school district can do that and spread that system throughout the uh, entire state, it's totally worth it. I'm sitting there with my 94 million purse strings about to be opened. Where should I be looking first for advice on how to spend it? I think that's a great question because I think you have a big checkbook and you're trying to decide how do I choose yeah. And um, who's the experts that you should be going to? I think the people who have experienced these incidents, and there's a couple of organizations that are focused on principals, for instance, who've had these shootings occur in their schools. They're a great resource. And I think that their perspective based not just on hardening a target, look to the research of the National Council on Behavioral Health, look to the research by organizations that are working on suicide prevention that are already out and functioning in the United States and around the world. Look to those organizations to say, what's your best prevention methods? And I think reaching out to the universities and to the FBI and to the states that have developed great prevention systems. I think communication is the key failure in prevention. We don't communicate anything to our parents for the most part and what they can do, what behavioral signs to look for. It's ironic, isn't it? 94 million to basically spend to get less bang for your buck is the aim. And it's all about prevention by the sounds of it. I think it is. And I think it's an opportunity to focus on prevention that can only be taken if the decision makers on that money are brave enough to look away from the shiny objects like a new door here or a new police department there. Mm. But you can't ask somebody to continue to keep their finger in the dike. So if you're going to spend money hiring people, hire a counselor. Don't hire another police officer. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. 
Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to Community Podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. If you've enjoyed Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I've been dating for the last six months is a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series. And that's when murder, mm. all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story. Conning the Con. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew, but after reading police reports, it became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder... All this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. 
that's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.